Can you hear me? Yeah, fantastic. So I've been given the theme, um, the rise and fall of soul. So this covers 22 chapters, 1 Samuel 9 to 1 Samuel 31. Okay, but we're going to do this, we're going to do it in less than half an hour, I promise you. So I want to start with a quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says something really interesting that applies to what happens in Israel. He says there are two types of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God has to say in the, the end, thy will be done. Okay, I'll say that again. There are two types of people. Those who say to God, God, you know best, thy will be done. And those who, who, to whom God has to say in the end, thy will be done. God is a gentleman. He tarries with us. He encourages us. He's patient. But there are times when, after we haven't learned year after year, decade after decade, he just says, okay, thy will be done. So Israel wanted a king. We want a king. I want. We want a king. Give us a king. And they've been saying this even before 1 Samuel. So in 1 Judges 8, after Gideon had defeated the Amalekites, sorry, the Madianites, they said to Gideon, now they didn't use the word king, but they said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson. So they're not using the word king, but that's basically what they're angling for. And listen to what they say afterwards. Because you, you Gideon, you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon, for all his faults, said something, responded in a very wise way. He said, I will not rule over you, nor will my sons rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. It wasn't the sort of response they wanted. The Lord will rule over you. The Lord had been ruling over them all the time. And I wanted to say something here. It's very interesting. This is the key, I think, to many of our problems and issues nowadays and in the past. That propensity to forget that it's God who has the answers it's God who gives the victory. It's so easy to look at the person God's using and, and idolize them and put them on a pedestal and start to look to people for our deliverance and for our answers. But it's God. It's always God. I used to go to, my mom got saved when I was three in a church called Christ is the Answer, Church of God. And it, today, it sounds like a funny church, a name for a church, but I want to say that Christ is the answer. Yes, there are people with fantastic gifts and God uses them to bless us, but we must never forget that the answer and the source of our deliverance is God. So what makes, what, what, what makes people blind? What made the people, the children of Israel, blind? Interestingly enough, so there's this writer, Lewis Ginsburg, said that in those days, in the days of the judges and afterwards, the, the children of Israel were so addicted to the worship of Beelzebub that they would carry around these small idols of the God and, every, and very frequently they'll take it out and kiss it. It's interesting that when, and I was thinking, 
idolatry blinds us to the real issues idolatry and idolatry isn't just having a physical idol we have idols in our hearts and we create idols through patterns of behavior as well and then when i read about you know you know the children of israel carrying around these idols and taking them out very frequently and kissing them you know what i thought about right away my relationship with my mobile phone it sounds funny guys how often between wordscape facebook whatsapp checking on the news checking on the weather I'm, I'm, I'm always i'm so preoccupied so often with my mobile phone and i'm not being facetious i'm actually starting to think this this sounds like that idol that i keep keep you know taking it out at every instance checking this checking that you know and i spend a lot more time and, and some days on my mobile phone than i do on the word of god that's that's a little idol there that's little idol. I remembered some months ago I was on the bus and I saw this guy with he was reading something. I thought, oh, he's reading his Bible because something about his posture. And then I looked at his mobile phone. I just think this this social media and the phone and, and entertainment they be, can become our little idols, and it's dangerous because this it skews our vision. Any type of idol it skews our vision. So the people of Israel thought, okay, I need we need a king because the king will make things better but they had misdiagnosed the problem their problem was not the many armies that had been attacking them that was not their problem their core problem was the idolatry the apostasy and as um was preached some months ago the canonization of the people that was the problem and step one to solving the problem was to make things right with god it wasn't a person that they needed. And I want to say something else before I you know I dive into soul. Sometimes in life, so often in life, we don't see what we have. I want a king, but Israel, you have a king and better than a king. God has been with you. God has delivered you many times and you just don't see this. You know, even in the case of Gideon, 300 men defeat an army of over 150,000 at least. And didn't Moses says, say, how can one face 1,000 and two face 10,000 if it's not for the rock, God? Can't you see that you have a king? Why are you asking for what you already have? And sometimes in our lives, we are surrounded by blessing and so much goodness, and we don't see it. We take our spouses for granted. We take our children, our parents. So many times, we just don't see it. I've been a Christian for decades, and it, it, it pains me. I've seen this again and again. People just throwing away their marriage. You don't, of course, your spouse isn't perfect. And many things, many people aren't perfect. But God's given us beautiful things and people and we just take it for granted or just we're totally blind to what we're throwing away. And as a teacher, I want to encourage you in a bit of homework this week. The people with whom you're living, the people who you're close to, don't take them for granted. Don't throw them away. Don't just cast them aside. These are God's gifts to you. Do something special for your wife, your husband, your child, your mom, your dad. Don't just wait for the special occasions. And more than that, please, don't take Jesus for granted. 
Don't give him the last three minutes before you go to sleep. He gave us his best. Let's not just cast him away, cast him off, put him at the side. He deserves our best. And now I turn to Saul. So Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. The last time we heard about the Benjamin, um, the, the tribe of Benjamin, it was when um, John talked about um, their sin at the end of the book of Judges. And it was not pretty. It was not pretty. I don't know if you remember the story. Um, they had basically, the men in the tribe had raped, they'd gone after this guy because they wanted to, to have sex with the man. And he put out, put, you know, put forward his concubine. They raped her. And then the people of Israel got together and they went and they attacked the, the, the men of Benjamin. And many of them ended up being slain. Benjamin was one of those tribes. They had an, a very ignoble past. But isn't it just like God? Yeah? Your past, your family's history, it, they don't disqualify you from the purposes of God. Isn't that interesting? The first king of Israel comes from the tribe of Benjamin. So don't ever think, well, my family, so-and-so happened in my family. So-and-so happened in my past. There's no way God would even think of me. So God chooses Saul. And when when we're introduced to Saul in 1 Samuel 9, you know, he seems like a really lovely young man. He's handsome. He's described as... You know, he was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. He was tall, handsome. He was also obedient and honoring of his dad. You know, his dad, Kish, had lost some donkeys. And his dad asked him to go look for the donkeys. And he very readily did so. Lovely young man. He was also very thoughtful and considerate. You know, this is the type of person, if you have a daughter, you'd think, well, this is a nice husband for her. Because he's like, after a few days, well, you know, we can't find the donkeys, but let's go back to dad, because he'll start worrying about us. Very, very thoughtful. He was also very humble, we see. His servant said, well, why don't we, there's a prophet here, why don't we go to him? And the fact that this was a servant talking to him, he You know, he could have said, oh, no, 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 just do what I say. He listened to his servant. He followed his servant's advice. Later on, we see that he was also quite courageous. So after he had been declared king, Nahash the Ammonite attacked the people of Jabesh Gilead. And the Spirit of God came on Saul, and he gathered the people of Israel, and he led them into battle and they defeated the Ammonites. Wow, so many good things. What a fantastic start to the first king. And also, we see that he was not puffed up or vindictive. There were no signs at the beginning of paranoia or megalomania. Because after he had won the battle, some of the people in Israel were saying, well, you know, Saul, there was a few guys who were making fun of you. They were saying that you weren't good enough to be king. Let's kill them. And Saul said, oh, no, we're not killing anyone today. I mean, you would feel so secure with a man like that in charge. So many times, Christians begin well. Just 
out of interest. You know, Israel had been asking for kings. Then, after the separation of the two tribes, Judah had about 20 kings. Half of them were corrupt and wicked. Some of them started off well, ended up really, really badly. Israel had 19 kings. Every single one of them, except for Jehu, who sort of followed the Lord, every single one of them, they were corrupt and evil and wicked. Everyone. This is a king you're asking for. This is the, the, your, the solution to your problems. And eventually, because of those kings, Israel ended up being exiled in Assyria and Judah in Babylonia. And it's the way how it happened. People were killed. People ended up eating their own children. Guys, I, I just cannot stress this point enough. Let's not look to the wrong solutions and to the wrong saviors. So we see all these fantastic things about Saul. But even at the beginning, in the midst of all of it, there's a, a, a red flag. And I think for all of us as humans, you know, we, we can see all these wonderful qualities. But very often there's something lurking. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a human condition. It's the human condition. When Saul was proclaimed king by Samuel, they were looking for him. Where was he? He was hiding among the baggage. And I want to exhort all of us that we need to stop hiding among the baggage. There's different baggage for different people. Yeah? Sometimes it's our baggage, and sometimes it's the baggage that other people would want to put on us. Yeah? So sometimes someone comes to you, and you know that this is ugly. You don't have to accept it. Say, I'm, no, I'm, that's not from God. That's from the pitiful. I am not having it. I'm not having it. This is not for me. So what, what, some, what could be you know, the type of baggage that we can be hiding uh, you know, around? Among, I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too black. I'm a woman. I'm not educated enough. I'm too this. I'm too that. I'm too fat. I'm too flat-chested. All sorts of ridiculous baggage. Things that other people have put on you. Things that other people have told you. And I want to encourage us as a body that like Saul, we've been called. And not just called, but Jesus, in, first, in, in Revelations 1, 6, it says that Jesus has made us a kingdom and priest. That's all of us. That's every one here who has accepted Christ. No one is disqualified. And just in case we want to become puffed up, there's a reason for it. It says, he's done this so that we, sorry, so that we can serve his God and Father. So all those talents and giftings, it's not for us to become proud or arrogant it's to serve the God and Father. And if we keep that in mind, if kings and leaders realize this, and we've also been called to be heirs with Jesus. He, he's made us his heirs. But as Bernard has reminded me often, to rule and reign with Christ and to be an heir, it's not to lord it over people. A big part of it is to look after people, 
to care for people. And if leaders and kings and princes and prime ministers and presidents keep that in mind, I have been raised up to look after people. Even us with our gifting, sometimes we can become so arrogant. No, the treasure that God's put in me and the treasure that God's put in you, it's for others. It's for God, first of all, and it's to bless people. It's not for us to rise up in arrogance or to lord it over people or to make other people look small. So my encouragement to everyone here, you have things to share that can bless me. Maybe you just think, oh, no, 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 I'm not good enough. But sometimes I might come to church with a heavy heart because there's something bothering me. Maybe God's given you a word to share and you just decide I'm not sharing it. And so I go back with my heavy heart because you didn't share it. So I want to encourage everyone here, no one is exempt. No one is exempt. You're a child of God. I don't care if you... You, you never did A-levels. I don't care who you are. If God's put something in your heart to share with others, please do so. We need you. We need each other. I want to share something really quickly. When I was in Trinidad in, in my church, I used to, we had a, very, a setup that was very similar to this, where people there was an open mic. And I remember when I used, I used to think, yeah, I really feel that God wants me to share X, Y, Z. And I would go up and share it. And I would just feel so embarrassed and ashamed after. Because I would be thinking, oh my gosh, what are people thinking about me? Oh my gosh, how, oh, I just feel so awful. You know, did I say it correctly? Did I do this correctly? And what are people thinking? They, pro- they probably think I'm proud. They probably think that what I said was nonsense. And so I struggled with this for a while. I would go up and share, because I really felt that almost like a burning. But then I would just be so... <laughs> Mollified and mortified afterwards. And then one day, I remember I went home after sharing, and I was feeling really small, like a dog with its tail between its legs. I just felt so awful. And when I went home, on the front page was this article, and it, it meant a lot to me because I knew it was, it was a, a, a third of the, le- of the width of the page was, had the, the, the face of someone I knew. I taught this person, really pretty girl, really bright, really everything, extraordinary girl. But she was advertising this new political party, and she was serious about it, in Trinidad, and they wanted to run for elections. And this political party was based on Eastern mysticism. And the entire article was absolutely ridiculous and absurd, and I would never forget that. And I thought... This beautiful, gorgeous, intelligent woman has her picture plastered on the front page with all this nonsense, and she's not ashamed. And I thought, hold on, as Christians, why is it that we are so often ashamed to share the truth and the good news of God? And even when I look at the media these days, I see all sorts of ridiculous things. People talking about, you know, there are over 100 genders, people identifying as this, that, and they're, they're not ashamed. They're not ashamed, guys. Why, why should we be ashamed and apologetic? Yeah. We have the truth. Yes. We have the word of God. Why, why, why are we ashamed? Why? So that, that really helps me and encouraged me because 
people need to hear the truth of God. It's a truth that will set people free. And all the nonsense that's on the media and social, you know, social media, the news, that's not what people really want to hear. And the people who are, who are pushing these things, they are not ashamed. Mm-hmm. They are not ashamed. So, back, back to Saul. So, we see that Saul had an issue. He was hiding among the baggage. And so often, hiding among the baggage is linked to insecurity. And many of us have them. Many, many, it's, it's just, again, a part of the human condition. And very often, we don't see these insecurities until there's some pressure in our lives. So the first time that we see Saul, some some of the true colors coming out, it's when there was a a, a time of pressure. So the Philistines had attacked Israel. And I can understand Saul's position. 3,000 Israelites against 30,000 chariots from the Philistines, 6,000 horsemen, and other people as innumerable as the sand of the seashore. Obviously, Saul is under some pressure here. And to make things worse, some of his men are deserting because they are panicking. And the ones who are with him, they're trembling, they're frightened, spirit of fear. Now Samuel had said to Saul, wait for seven days and I will come and I will offer the sacrifice. But Saul is under pressure. And I've been there, guys. And it's when I'm under pressure and I realize, oh my gosh, oh, I didn't know this was in me. Saul is under pressure and Saul decides that he's going to sacrifice. And after he, he does the sacrifice, now he's a king. He's not a priest and he's not a prophet. Kings are not in a position to sacrifice. You know, God's given, every, given us boundaries. It's not your job, Saul. But because of the pressure, he ends up disobeying God because of the pressure. And we just need to be very, very careful when we're under pressure, how we respond. Okay? So, Saul, the slide, the, the slide starts. And Saul has to, he, he, he shouldn't really be making excuses. Just, you know, Samuel comes and Samuel says, what you've done was very foolish. And because of your actions, your kingship is not going to prosper. The slide continues. In 1 Samuel 15, the Lord had told Saul explicitly, destroy the Amalekites and all of their cattle. Saul takes it upon himself to spare the Amalekite king. So God gives him specific instructions and to spare some of the cattle. Samuel comes and says, what have you done? And this is one, I think, of the reasons that really, really led to Saul's downfall. You see, sinning does not, on its own, does not lead to your, your, your downfall. It's the lack of repentance and the lack of honesty. There are many men in scripture who did worse. I mean, David with Bathsheba. He committed adultery and he committed murder. He was sliding. He was sliding. It started with adultery, then it went to murder. But he caught himself. And when Nathan the prophet came to David to confront him, he was honest. And he went to God and he repented. Now, there were still consequences 
there were still consequences, but his relationship with God survived. It was saved. So Saul, on the other hand, when Samuel confronts him, Saul says, but I've done what God asked me to do. I've done what he's asked me to do. No, no, Saul, please, you haven't. You know, Agag is, Agag is alive. And what is this bleating I hear? It's not my imagination. You have sinned against the Lord. You have disobeyed him again. So Samuel had to repeat this. And Samuel says something that's pertinent to all of us. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance, arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Guys, I cannot fool myself and say, well, I preach in church, I lead worship, and because of that, it's okay that I am having an affair or flitting with so-and-so. And sometimes there are ministers and there are people of God, we fool ourselves. If God says to obey him in one area, sacrificing in another area or doing fantastic exploits in that other area does not make up for the deliberate sin and the repeated sin. And I'm not saying that to make you feel awful. It's the truth. If God says to do something, we just need to do it. And when we're confronted, we cannot, and, and, and I, you know, I, I saw this, we cannot turn a vice into a virtue, which is what happens very often in, 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 in modern society. And that's what Saul tried to do at the beginning. Instead of saying, well, I have messed up, he said, well, I kept the cattle so I can sacrifice it to God. Trying to turn something that's wrong into a virtue. No, it doesn't work that way. If my name is Natalie... If I come and I tell you one day my name is Nathan, don't pat me on the shoulder and tell me, well done, you're brave, this is wonderful, how virtuous, you're so brave enough to come out. No, we cannot turn vices into virtues. We have to face up to the sin and repent. And that is the only way back to God. There is no other way. We can't afford to be covering up our sins, our faults, our mistakes, and trying to show God, well, God, I'm doing X, Y, Z. Didn't I do so and so? No. No. Another downfall, one other thing that led to Saul's downfall as well, it was, again, the fear of man. He himself says it. He, said, he finally says, I have sinned. And then he said, I was afraid of the men. Saul was, in some ways, a weak ruler. God cannot trust weak rulers. He cannot trust weak rulers. It's so different to David. Because Saul was saying, it's the men who wanted me to keep the cattle. You know, David, when he went out to fight the Amalekites, he had 600 men. 200 of the men got really, really tired, and they stayed back with the baggage. And so only 400 men went to fight. When they came back, and they found the two, they, they won as, as often, they came back. Some of the guys who went out to fight said, well, those 200 men, they, they're not getting anything. They're not getting anything from we risk our lives, they stayed there. David was a strong leader. He was not going to allow the voice, the loud voices, 
to determine his decisions. He says no. He said no. No. Those 200 men who sailed with the baggage, they too will share in the booty. And we need strong leaders. We need leaders who know what the right thing is. They know what God has said. And they're going to carry it through. That is so important. Another thing we see, another clue we see um, as to why Saul was weakened. Listen to what he said. Now Samuel tells Saul, he, 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 he speaks to him in some very strong language. You know, God has rejected you. Listen to what Saul says. I have sinned. Again, he says, I have sinned. But please honor me before the elders of my people. Being honored, looking good, was so important to Saul. Guys, if I got the sort of sentence, you know, that Samuel had given, I hope that my, my main concern would not be my honor. My main, Saul's main concern should have been, oh God, have mercy on me. There are times when our appearance and our honor means so much to us. It's a bit of arrogance and pride. And that causes us to not respond in the right way. Rebuke is really important. I, wa- I want to say something that's, that, that, that I think, you know, I want to stress this again. It's not so much the sin. I mean, the sin is terrible. It's awful. But we all sin and we all fall. But how do we respond when we're confronted? Moses, the man of God. Look at, look, at, look at the difference. Moses, the man of God. And I feel for Moses. God told Moses, you're not going into the promised land. Because you dishonored me among the people. This is Moses. Guys, Moses had been with these Israelites for 40 years. And they drove him nuts. And after all Moses had done, Moses could have been very bitter. What God, after 40 years of suffering, struggling, bearing with these people, you're now telling me I'm not going into the promised land? And God told him, Joshua, your aid will take the people into the promised land. You notice something. Moses always encouraged Joshua. He didn't turn on Joshua and try to destroy him. There was something in the man's heart that was clean. When Saul realized that David was going to replace him, he turned on David. Do you see the difference? You see, you see the difference in attitudes? He turned on David. What I'm saying is that many people in the Bible have had consequences, and hard ones as well. That was a hard consequence for Moses. David had a harsh consequence as well. The Lord told him, the sword will never leave your house. Jacob, the deceiver, he had some terrible consequences. He too was deceived. Many people have consequences. But it doesn't mean that we have to continue to slide downwards. It doesn't mean that the relationship with God has to be destroyed. And it's not interesting with Moses. Okay, so he didn't go into the promised land. But when Jesus had that experience of being transfigured who was one of the people who appeared to Jesus Moses guys we have to grow up at times we have to be honest we have to face the consequences and we have to learn 
that what really matters, it's the repentance and going on with the Lord. David, sorry. Do you remember Ahab in the Bible? Ahab. This, he was the, the, the husband of Jezebel. A more wicked woman you can find. And Ahab too had some terrible consequences. But you know, even Ahab repented. Even Ahab repented and God said, because he's repented, I will not allow the disaster to come in his days. What I want to talk about is the power of repentance. It doesn't matter how, where you've sunk to, the repentance. Manasseh, a wicked king. How could his dad was Hezekiah? How could someone with such a godly father end up being so wicked? He was so wicked, he even sacrificed his children in fire. Manasseh got into trouble with God. God took him to Babylon because of his wickedness. In Babylon, Manasseh repented. God brought him back to Jerusalem. This is somebody who sacrifices children in fire. Saul did not have to end up the way he did. So Saul just continued to slide and slide. Things got from bad to worse. He loses his peace because the Holy Spirit is taken from him. He loses his courage. If Saul had been in a better place, he probably would have been able, would have been used by the Lord to defeat Goliath. But he had, you know, the spirit of the Lord had, you know, departed. He'd become a coward. He becomes jealous. I, I, I spoke about this in, you know, probably a sermon or two ago. When you, when you become jealous, very often the problem is not the person. The problem is your relationship with God. He becomes jealous of David. The problem was not David. Honestly, Saul's problem was never David. When I feel jealousy towards someone, the type of jealousy that wants me to tear them down, my problem is not with the person. My problem is with God. Because if my, my relationship with God is right, I would know that I'm loved. I would know that God's going to bless me sooner or later. I don't have to be jealous about anyone. Okay? He becomes paranoid. You know, like so many kings in history. He becomes paranoid to the point that he ends up killing the Lord's priests and he wipes out an entire town of priests. Men, women, and children. The priests, the priests of the Lord. And this is happening, you know, right here in Britain, interestingly enough, right here in Croydon, we have John Fisher and Thomas More schools named after people who did not agree with Henry VIII. And they too, they were priests, you know, they were church people in the church, and they were killed. He becomes, he becomes absolutely depraved. There is no, he loses his reasoning. And it was clear to Saul that, you know, David was not out to kill him because David had the opportunity to kill Saul once. He didn't do it. Saul said, my son, I see that, what, that you're a righteous man. But still after that, Saul goes and tries to kill David again. His entire reasoning becomes totally knotted up. And then he ends up doing things that he never thought he would do. Guys, I wouldn't wish this on any of my enemies. The same Saul who wanted to cleanse the land of spirits, spiritists and mediums, he ends up going. He ends up going to a witch. 
slide, the slide, the slide. And then finally he dies. He's killed. And his three sons die with him. And I just want to make a little point about this. You know, Jonathan was an amazing man. He was in a very precarious position. But I personally, I could be wrong. I think that after Saul killed the priests, Jonathan should have distanced himself from his dad. And I feel Jonathan ends up dying with his dad. You see who we align ourselves with? Sometimes our loyalties, I think, can be very wrong. I have to be at the point where, you know, this person's my mom, my dad, my husband, my children, but after they cross a certain line, I'm going to continue to pray for them. I'm going to continue to love them. But I'm not going to be walking hand in hand closely. I could be wrong, but I do think that there are times when we have to check our loyalties. When Saul fell, he didn't fall alone. He took people with him. The first time I read this, um, read about Saul and what happened, I had this sort of temptation to think, well, God really set him up for a fall. You know, the man was going about his business, minding his own business, and then God chose him, and look at what happened. God doesn't set anyone up for a fall. Every single position or responsibility that God has given to us, he has equipped us for it. In Deuteronomy 17, 18, long before Israel had their king, God had already put provision in the law for kings. He said the king was to write for himself on a scroll a copy of the law and read it all the days of his life to revere the Lord and not turn to the left or the right. God has given us instructions for every role in life. It's in the Bible. Your role as a mother, as a father, as a teacher, as a son, as a daughter, as a ruler, as a student, whatever your role is. If you search the scriptures, we're not left ignorant. God has made provision. He's told us what we need to do to succeed and remain in his blessing. And Joshua, God told Joshua as well, Joshua was a leader, he said, keep my law on your lips, meditate on it day and night. There is a way, there is a way to not be slipping and sliding all the time. I'm not saying that we're never going to be making mistakes, but there's a way. Psalm 119.9 for the young people and for the old people as well. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word. God has given us everything that we need. And we also have the keeping power of Jesus himself. But we, we have to do something. So, Saul was a very, you know, I, I, I just think it's one of the saddest stories in the Bible, the life of Saul. But I want to encourage us that if we've started to slip, there's a way back. There's always a way back. 
and no sin is too horrendous for God to forgive. There is always a way back. And I want to encourage us again. Let's not hide among the baggage. I need you. Your brothers and sisters need you. God has put treasure in you. That's for the blessing and the edification of the body. Amen. Okay.